Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to Awakening Aphrodite. I am your hostess, Amy Fournier, and I'm excited to be with you today because we have a super special guest on the show today. And wow, we are in for a treat, you guys, because we have on the show today, Dr. Stanton Holm. He's a doctor of chiropractic, and he has been in practice for over 10 years. Right now, he's based in San Diego. And he has quite a resume. He has a military background at West Point, and then he went on to an internship at Walter Reed Army Medical Center. But he had an interesting experience when he was in open heart surgeries and witnessing different surgeries, including brain surgery. He realized that he didn't want to pursue a medical degree at that time. And we're going to tap into his, uh, his thoughts on that. I'm, I'm curious to know more about that. And then he moved to San Diego and his brother is also a chiropractor and his brother ended up treating him and helped to cure him from his different ailments, which he will talk to us about. And that was so transforming for him that it inspired him to become a chiropractic doctor himself. And he has a thriving practice in San Diego. He is a new dad. He has a beautiful wife. He has a... Um, quite a team of people uh, in, involved in his practice. And we're gonna tap into his wisdom, his experience and all his knowledge. So Dr. Ohm, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Amy. Okay, great. We're gonna get into all your wisdom, but before we do, we're gonna start with a little bit of fun. So are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, great. If you were a dog, what kind of dog would you be and why? Oh my goodness. <laughs> the hardest thing in the world for me. I would be a chocolate lab because that is the most fun I've ever had with a dog is when I don't know why I think it's the size. I think it's like the willingness to just kind of go for life. Um, and then I think the swimming and the survivability is also very good and balanced too. And so I'd be a chocolate and plus they're just so cute and amazing. So yeah, chocolate lab. <laughs> And they're very congenial, which is, I'd yes. say, right like you. I would say, I don't know you that well, but wow, I'd say right on. That, pretty that's pretty close. accurate. <laughs> we'll, have to ask, we'll have to ask Victoria. Uh, okay. And what is your favorite number and your favorite color? Uh, favorite number, I don't know why. Uh, it's always been 17. And I think it's because it's a combination of one and seven, but I also don't really have an explanation of that either. So, okay. And what was it? The color? Yeah. Blue. Always. Is there a shade of blue? A shade of Usually darker, the better, like a navy. Yeah, definitely a darker, the better. Very cool. Okay. And what book are you currently reading? Um, which book am I not reading? Uh, I, <laughs> the one that I just, the, the two that I'm reading right now, or one, one that I just finished was uh, by Dr. Simone Gold. Um, it's titled, We Do Not Consent. Um, she's a doctor who has been maybe one of the more highly censored doctor throughout this whole COVID-19 experience. And um, the other is titled American Values, and that's written by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And it's about the lessons he learned from his family. And it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. It's not a light read, but definitely something that makes you feel good to be an American. Well, that's great. And I, I know we're going to get into some of the content uh, on the show. And I do want to hear your thoughts on our health freedoms as a sure. practicing yeah. doctor and yeah. I'm sure that ties into those books. So that's great. Okay. And what do you do for fun? You ever have time for you know, fun? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'd say that, you know, that's a, a big part of my life is that a lot of times, you know, you hear the quote and the quote is like, if you, you know, love what you do, you never work a day in your life, right? And so I would say a big litmus test for me is that if I end the day drained, then I, I identify what in my day made me drained and I delegate it <laughs> or I don't do it anymore. And uh, the other thing is that I say when, it, when we do have time, the, the most fun that I do have at this stage, and it's a little bit cliche, but totally honest, is my daughter for sure. I mean, she's one 15 months today. And she's a ball of energy and, you know, everybody tells me how advanced she is. And I could go on a whole diatribe as to why I believe that that's just how she is and 
that's very intentional by us as parents. But at the same time, you know, when we do get to do things that are fun, I would say uh, beach, being in San Diego. Um, I love to body surf. I love to surf, but I just don't love carrying all the gear as much anymore. And then hiking is a huge fun passion of mine. Haven't camped as much as I typically do. I like backpacking and camping but I haven't figured out how to do that for the toddler yet. (laughs) That's great. That's great. And uh, I realized that the logo for your, for your clinic is your daughter's profile, right? For, for the podcast. Yeah. For For the the podcast. podcast. Okay. Yeah. The logo for the podcast is the profile of my daughter when she gets out of the bath, for sure. She's got pretty funky hair when she gets out of the bathtub. That is so sweet. And it speaks volumes because I know the, the practice specializes in prenatal care and, and childhood care as well as whole family. But I mean, that's just a beautiful thing. Yeah, our practice is, well, this year we had a pretty big milestone. Um, We um, achieved a level of clinical maybe certifications that's called a diplomate from the Academy Council of Chiropractic Pediatrics, which is the highest level of whole family care that you can actually achieve in chiropractic. And um, it makes us one out of 67 clinics in the world that have had that level of um, distinction, which is pretty amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, we're pretty stoked about that. Out of 67. Yep. Mm-hmm. That is pretty impressive. Well, you know, let's get into that then. Can you explain for our audience what is chiropractic medicine? So chiropractic medicine is actually a misnomer. Chiropractic care, chiropractic has always relatively left um, the medicine, the the whole concept of medicine out of our profession. Not to say that we're anti-medicine, but we just have a completely different framework. And what I would say, and this is something that I explained earlier today, I think maybe three or four times to brand new patients, is that we work... um, we work with the whole person and we work what we call the inside out, right? Versus we believe that conventional medical uh, philosophy is outside in, in that they're looking for generally the diagnoses or diagnoses that they can then treat with something, you know, that's relatively artificial or outside of your human body versus chiropractic care is mostly focused on inside out in that we look for interference patterns that exist to um, healing that are in the body and we start the process of resolving and removing them so that the body can do what it's actually made to do. And so the initial premise of chiropractic is that the body is self-healing in that every four weeks you get a new liver, every five days you get a new stomach lining, every 11 days you get new taste buds and you don't have to consciously think about it. Our practice is one third pregnancy, and I've done this for over 10 years, so hundreds of moms or moms-to-be that I've interviewed at this stage, and not one has consciously grown their baby. And so they can take two half cells, and 280 days later, and a 26 billion cell being comes out, and not, not one mom at this stage says, okay, today we're going to grow a liver, tomorrow we're going to grow you know, fingernails. It's like it's this process that happens by design. It's, it's made, it's part of our biology, whether you believe in the faith and spirit and, and all the energy and the ethereal stuff, or you believe in hardcore evidence, it is uniquely biological that our bodies are self-healing and self-regulating. The next um, lens that we look through is that the brain and spinal cord run the whole show, nothing in the body, whether it's our endocrine system, our immune system, our digestive system, works without some sort of neurological input or perception. And the third rule is that the body can, and the nervous system can be interfered with. And so we see a third of our practice as kids. And I would say that if there's one thing that is a huge gaping hole in healthcare right now is actually identifying how birth affects a baby. And so the data shows very clearly that 100% of babies are born with some sort of cranial imbalance, um, which could affect breastfeeding, which could affect digestion, which could affect sleep, all the things that are common in childhood. Um, But 91% have some sort of neck misalignment and 96% have some sort of low back sacral issue. And if those things don't get identified and resolved, we have a saying, and it's not our saying, it's a saying throughout time that says, as the twig is bent, so grows the tree. 
And so the fourth rule is that our job is to really just identify where the root causes of these interference patterns are, remove them, resolve them, and allow the body to do what it's made to do. And at this stage in my career, no one would be able to sit in front of me and convince me that their body isn't capable of healing from whatever it is that drove them to my office. I find that if they make it to my office and they can, with good intention, express what's going on with them, then they can channel all that energy in a way that actually serves them and heals them. And so in a nutshell, I'd say that's what chiropractic is, that one of my teachers said this, he's like, if you ever get lost in the woods about chiropractic, you have to realize that chiropractic works because gravity works because gravity is always kind of forcing its, you know, force on our body. If we're in good structural alignment, we have good adaptability, right? In that the house of the nervous system is the brain and spinal cord, or sorry, is the cranium and the spinal and spinal column. Mm -hmm. It's the only system that's completely surrounded by bone in all of nature. And we don't think that happens by accident that if your nervous system was in your big toe, we'd be big toe doctors, right? But the brain and spinal cord are, are protected inside the cranial vault and the spinal column. And so we believe that because you only get one spine. Well, let me ask you a question. Amy, did you brush your teeth last night and this morning? I sure did. Yeah, yes, doctor. Yes, yeah. doctor. I'm on but record. This is, <laughs> I floss this is probably, But this is probably a... <laughs> This is probably not a good question to ask you because you probably did it, but did you do your spinal hygiene exercises? Well, you know, I'll tell you what, I roll my back every day and I do my McKenzie press-ups. Yes. So, See, yes, so, right? so people yes. who know McKenzie, people who know mm -hmm. Feldenkrais, people mm -hmm. who know Agoscu, people who know like just kind of yoga practices, you create a level of spinal hygiene that is hygienic for your entire functionality of your body. And invariably today, I did a, I did a results, uh, a report of findings with a, a young lady by the spry young age of 70. And I said, are these the first time you took your x-rays? She's like, yeah. I was like, am I the first time, you know, that you've ever encountered somebody that cares about your spine? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, that's really interesting. Right. Imagine if you went to the dentist for the first time when you're 70 years old, like they would be, <laughs> they would yeah. have a lot of homework for you. Right. And so we think that, the, the nervous system is maybe this, you know, just a little bit more important than your dental hygiene, you know? And so it's pretty miraculous to see on a day-to-day -day basis, the age range and the styles of patients that we see. Um, we kind of sit back and have to pinch ourselves and realize that we have a phrase in chiropractic that is expect miracles. And it's it. because when you believe what we believe and you help the body do what it's made to do, then mm. the healing capacity of the body isn't a surprise to us anymore. It's, it's a natural expectation of how our biology and how our body is actually supposed to function. So. Fantastic. So a couple questions come to mind that I can, I can hear what the, the audience is buzzing. All right. You sound amazing. Okay. You're in San Diego. How does someone find a chiropractor with your mindset? Because I will even attest for myself Right. Uh, look, I'm, I'm not really a spring chicken anymore. I've been around the block a few times. I've been to many chiropractors all across the country. They do not all have your philosophy. Okay. So they're right. all, you know, labeled as chiropractors, but some of them just crack and smack you and you're out the door in two minutes. Right. right? They don't all have your wonderful, holistic, re regenerative, uh, all your knowledge, all that. So how do we find someone like you? And I think just the second part of that question is, unfortunately, because of these other type of chiropractors that maybe aren't doing such a thorough, wonderful job such as you, it's given your profession not a wonderful name for a right. lot of people, right? They're kind of like, oh, God, that scares me. I don't want somebody snapping my neck. Dangerous. It's really uh, dangerous. So what do you have to say about all that? So, so the whole danger portion is, is, is something I'd like to talk about first because chiropractic care is extraordinarily safe. And, and that is not just shown in every day in practice that's shown. Um, I have actually one of my podcast interviews is one of my best friends who actually worked at the World Health Organization. And they wrote a great paper out there that identified all the safety research that exists in the world today on chiropractic care. And what they found was that chiropractic care is ridiculously safe. And it's ridiculously safe if you go to anybody who is licensed and who went to an accredited school, period, right? Okay. 
chiropractic care for pregnancy and for kids is infinitely safer. And so in most cases, like, it's very funny because I, I see this all the time where somebody's like, you're definitely not going to touch my neck. Right. Yeah. Like, Oh yeah, yeah, totally. I get that. Um, but they're like, but you can adjust my kid. No problem. It's very funny because <laughs> they let the kids go first and then I'm going to be really apprehensive. Um, finding a chiropractor or the, the other aspect is in my practice, there's a naturopath, there's an acupuncturist, there's a nutritionist. And of all of us who have malpractice, guess whose malpractice insurance is the lowest? Yours. Yeah. Isn't that weird that mine would be lower than say a naturopath that somebody doesn't, that doesn't actually touch somebody. Right. What do you attribute that to? Um, Risk. 100%. That's all malpractice rates are, are based upon. Right. So people will go to a, you know, so if a pregnant mom comes into my practice and she wants pregnancy chiropractic care, she doesn't realize that just going to her OB, it's between 50 and a hundred thousand dollars a year for malpractice insurance. This is my, my 11th year practice. Guess how much my malpractice insurance was? I have no idea. $1,700. Wow. Right. So $1,700 is the amount of risk that the insurance companies who identify all the risks that's out there. So most of our apprehension that you may, you probably don't know this, but back in the early stages of the AMA, the American Medical Association, they had a whole commission on quackery, right? And their commission on quackery had a primary mission. And the mission was to contain and eliminate chiropractic. And what they did was they created these perceptions of their killers, their charlatans, their pseudoscientific, all the whole, you know, phraseology that we hear today, talking about even some medical doctors today, right? Dr. Simone Gold is a pseudoscientific doctor, you know, these people that are talking about things that go against the narrative of the medical, what we call mainstream, are are dubbed these pseudoscientific quacks and chiropractors, we, we get it. And your question is, I totally get it because we call ourselves the black sheep of the black sheep, right? <laughs> like even in my own practice, like the naturopaths and the acupuncturists, they don't like chiropractors either. You know, and so it's not like, it's not a mystery to us. We've always they, been, they got that memo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I think at this stage, you know, how you find a great chiropractor is, I think the best way is friends and family. That's the best way. Always finding a referral. Somebody has had some sort of great experience in your neighborhood, in your community, and listening and trying that person out is always a good thing to try first. But with that said, I would say that from a collective perspective, the easiest way from my view is to um, search the, there's a, there's a website for the International Chiropractic Pediatric Association and they have a search engine where you can put in a zip code, a radius. And in most cases, philosophically, we're all gonna have similar perspectives. How we give and deliver our technique is what we call the art of chiropractic. So there's some uniqueness to that. But, mm. and that, and then I'll be honest with you, Amy, a lot of times I am the person at this stage that's humble enough to be like, hey, you know, to my patient, I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is the right fit for you because I, one, maybe I see clinically, they're not responding as well, but I would say that that's uncommon. You know, it's uncommon for a doctor to initiate that conversation sometimes. But at the same time, I would say that if patients knew that there's a uniqueness to the way that care is delivered, and that's in our, from our view, part of the art of chiropractic, then oftentimes it takes, you know, it's not like you go to the dentist and you're going to have one doing one type of technique and you go to another type of technique. I think it's part of the beauty of chiropractic in that we can actually fit into a patient's perspective or a patient's comfort level or a patient's needs very uniquely. Um, I don't think chiropractors think that about each other. We tend to you know, they call it circle the wagons and shoot in like we're our <laughs> biggest enemy sometimes. And so yep. I don't love to lead with the hate and the, the drama, especially in our profession. I believe chiropractic has a unique role. Some people only care about pain and some people only want to get out of pain, you know, and some people want more holistic perspectives like me and that's who I'm there to serve. Right? Well, t- well tell, tell us what are some of the conditions that people would be surprised would, could be uh, helped by chiropractic care. Yeah. Like we, all, we all think, oh, wow, I fell, I hurt my back or my neck won't move. I need an adjustment. 
What are some things that people would be surprised to hear that might be helped by chiropractic? You know, I would say maybe I should just go into what I healed from, you know, like I became yes. a Tell us your story. Tell us because that, that's just fascinating. Yeah, this when is I fascinating. Got out, I got out of the military when I was 26 years old. And it's very interesting because I tend to attract a lot of military personnel who are in their mid-20s. And they're suffering from a lot of the things that I had at the time. And so at the time, I had chronic levels of stress. I had, you know, one deployment under my belt, four years of West Point under my belt. Um, Levels of, well, you know, a lot of people would identify as adrenal exhaustion or, you know, mental challenges like mild forms of PTSD. You know, like I think any deployment is traumatic for anybody who actually experiences that. Um, I had chronic gut issues. I had IBS. I had significant levels of sensitivities to certain foods, no real like anaphylaxis food allergies, but I definitely had a sensitivity to a lot of the different foods in my world. Um, leaky gut challenges. Um, I had chronic pain. I didn't realize I did, but I had chronic levels of discomfort and pain. I just had extremely high levels of tolerance for pain. And then I would say, you know, within six weeks of getting care, I felt like my, like I'm dating myself. I'm a little bit older too. Like remember those old school Nintendo games and you hit the reset button, the whole screen starts over. I felt like that's what happened to my body is that when you have somebody focusing on the kind of deep rooted capacities of your nervous system and really trying to fine tune how well that your nervous system is sensing and perceiving and responding to the environment and almost like kind of resetting it in a lot of ways, you feel it. It's a very visceral feeling in that all the triggers that were affecting me when I was in the military stopped, you know? With that said, the reason why I'm more of a holistic perspective and a lifestyle perspective is at the time my brother was teaching me uh, how to do yoga. He was teaching me about meditation. I'd surfed two to four times a day here in San Diego, right? I, we lived across the street from a Whole Foods. I started to learn more about um, actually eating Whole Foods and then diving deep into how foods and animals are raised and things like that, all things that are super, super important. And I would say within six months, my brother, you know, kind of turned me around and said, dude, I think you're my healthiest patient at this stage. And so what I know at this stage is that no one would be able to convince me. I don't care how many and how many years you've been dealing with, with a lot of things for me to go through nine years of chronic stressful conditions, not living a life that I truly was deeply in love with and inspired by that those levels of chronic problems that can accumulate in your life can be reversed in a short term. If you have the right focus of a right, you know, perspective, like, and I, and I will say this, it doesn't have to be chiropractic. It could be a naturopath. It could be an acupuncturist. It could be, you know, a integrative medical doctor. It could be a trainer. Like I was, at, and so what I was doing at the time is I was a personal trainer. I did um, a lot of work with NASM and I did uh, check uh, a, a, a program through the Czech Institute. And so I was learning about how to train people in a more holistic way as well. And what I find today is that there are people, there are so many people out there doing amazing work at helping people transform. I'm sure you are clearly one of them that in the end, all you need at that first step is an understanding that your body is wanting and striving to heal on a day-to-day basis and removing the blockages, the interferences and creating an environment that is optimal and what your genes at the root of who they are expect. Meaning if you're a human, you should live like a human, right? You shouldn't live like a, you should, like you don't feed a giraffe what you would feed a fish, you know, you don't put a giraffe and put them in a lake, you know, you don't live in incongruently to what your genes are actually calling you to do. And when you do though, it's miraculous how quickly and how amazingly that bodies heal. So I would say for me, those are three common things that I see today, chronic stress, yeah. chronic levels of pain. Um, but not always, not always physical pain. Sometimes it's visceral gut pain. Sometimes it's, you know, there's all sorts of different challenges. And then I would say one of the things from an adult perspective that we see a lot of transformations with are mental health challenges. 
I would say we see a lot of improvements with a lot of patients that have had, you know, years of different challenges from a therapeutic perspective, you know, or mental health. Now, are those, are those patients coming to you with the mental health challenge to be hopefully alleviated with you, or is it a byproduct of fixing physiology and then all of a sudden their mental health is like, oh my God, you know what? I feel better. Like I'm just more motivated and less depressed. How does that work? So whenever we do, we do our clinical workup, what we're trying to identify where stress is stuck in the system, right? And when you identify where stress is stuck in the system and you give it an exit plan, then oftentimes patients who have been dealing with, you know, sometimes decades of chronic mental health challenges, they don't realize that what we're trying to do is just hack into the nervous system and find ways that you don't. And I would never say that patients shouldn't do therapy. I would never say they don't need a psychiatrist. I would never say that. But what I would say is that if you don't ever let that stress exit the system, Mm then oftentimes, whether it's therapy or whether it is a psychiatric drug or something, often just paints over the rust that's actually in there. And so I would say many patients at this stage, and earlier in my career, people came for pain, right? People came for back pain, neck pain, that kind of stuff. Now, I mean, we just had a child today, went over his two-month re-exam, and he's six years old. He was injured by his 18-month vaccines where he started to have, um, where he lost all of his speech. He lost many of his motor skills and he started to have seizures, which very commonly is linked to the MMR vaccine. And in the end, at this stage, like today, him and his mom, his mom doesn't speak a lot of English. She speaks mostly Spanish. The child speaks kind of both. He, he greets me with bye-bye doctor. Like he wants me to go away. Cause <laughs> he's playing with me now, but in the, in the beginning, he was very challenging to, to work with, but his, his aunt came today and she speaks English. And so one thing that the mom said today was that he is putting together um, very comprehensive jokes at home, like humor. And I let her know, I was like, humor is a higher brain function. It's not just something that happens that kids are witty, you know, they are, but they're witty because their brain is actually starting to build neural pathways that are pretty amazing. And so I said, what else is happening? Oh, he's writing his name. Oh, what else is happening? He's doing this. And like, and she shows me the school report. And so most people wouldn't guess that chiropractic care would have an effect on very lower functioning autistic children with autism. Um, But that's something that we see virtually you know, on, on a daily basis in our practice too. Is because it's all, it, it comes down to manipulation of the nervous system. And yeah. could you just maybe give us a really brief 101 anatomy of the nervous system for people to kind of understand that connection? Like, okay, so you're saying could help with higher brain function, autism. Sure. How does manipulating the nervous system, like just give us like the real layman's terms for how sure. that actually works so we can yeah. understand the value of it. So the, so, the, so the brain, right? The brain works by three main stimuli. One is um, sugar or some sort of fuel. Another is um, oxygen, right? O2, right? And the other is stimulation, right? And stimulation of the brain from the greatest, or sorry, the greatest level of stimulation from the brain comes from the actual physical body. It's called proprioception, right? I'm sure you're familiar with the word, right? When you're a trainer, when you do some sort of fitness, you teach people about body awareness and body awareness is is fueled through or sent through mechanoreceptors, proprioceptors that are all in your muscles and joints that tell your body, this is my body and that's the environment and that's the environment, this is my body. And how I understand that awareness determines how balanced the nervous system is. The highest concentration of proprioceptors and mechanoreceptors exist in the spine. And so the other next highest concentration come from the feet Eye muscles are a very high concentration as well. And so every time you move the joints of the spine, it sends new information in many respects, healthy signals into your brain. And the brain works not by output alone, the brain works by input. And so if you have just like food, right? If you have garbage in, 
you get garbage out. If you have garbage food that goes in, you get terrible digestive outcomes coming out or other things too, right? Other inflammatory challenges. But with the brain, it works very similarly in that, and this is something that you can see, but the, but the you know, this isn't, this is in video, but if somebody has poor posture, right? And they're all kind of contorted, nobody thinks that that creates stress patterns in their body, although they feel stressed, right? And now we live in a world today where everything's on Zoom and some kids are on Zoom five or six hours a day. Texting. Texting, they're less, you know, less able to go outside and play. We already had a sedentarism issue in the past, like before COVID and now it's much more. But in the end, who is the provider that actually provides a level of postural and neurological and structural hygiene that allows the body to be structurally adaptable? But if the body is structurally adaptable, then it's also neurologically adaptable. And when the nervous system has windows into every other system that control and self-regulate virtually every other system, in my world, I don't really care what somebody has. Like, I don't know. And at the same time, can I say chiropractic care is 100% going to help? I don't know, but we can check and we can check to see if we can measure something that we can help with. And then we can give the body what it needs. And then we let the body decide if it's going to be responsive of the care that we provide. And like I said, I don't know if there's a condition at this stage that we haven't seen on virtually every spectrum of life. Right. And so I don't know if that answered your question. It sure does. That's fantastic. Thank you. Um, now, what I'd like to do is just switch gears a little bit sure. and ask you something a little more on the personal uh, regard of your of your experience and just your you, you have a very fascinating life story, but uh, you have a very fascinating combination of energies from what I can see in that huh. yeah. your background, you were raised primarily with a lot of female energy around you. You had a lot of female cousins around and you were very close with your mother. Uh, it's very clear your devotion, admiration and love for your wife and daughter. So the female figures in your life have been very significant and obviously were very uh, significant in developing who you are as a young boy into a man. And then you went into the military. Yeah. And the military, at the risk of being stereotypical, is pretty strong on masculine values and principles sure. and, and you know structure and all that, which is, as I always say in my show, these are both very important, very equally, um, again, important values and qualities there's one is not better than the other we want them both really the wisdom comes in having the discretion to know when to tap into either one we want them both but my question for you is is how do you think those two different big life's experiences shaped who you are as a man as stanton home you know yeah, I, it, it's so funny because people ask me my background and they they couldn't place me in the military. You know, they, they just, they wouldn't have bet on it, you know? And I would say that, yeah, it was, it was definitely a culture shock going into the military because I would say that I've always been rather intuitive. I've always been rather respective, respective of um, just how I was raised and being raised around, like I think of all my cousins, yeah, I was the fourth oldest, but all my cousins around me were girls too. And, you know, to be frank, my staff, I've never worked with a male, right? So my whole staff of now five, they're all women. 75% of my practice is women, right? But I would sit back and I would say that it's, it's really important to recognize first, and I might not be answering your question, but I would, I would say it, it's really important to recognize that... Um, <laughs> male and female energies are so both essential that it's like trying to find a one-sided magnet mm -hmm. to assume one role or to assume another role is to discard, try to discard a side of a magnet. And you just can't do that. It's just not possible. Right. It's like the earth, not having one pole, right. There's a North pole and a South pole. And that's just how life works. That's how gravity works. That's how so many laws of the universe work. And so I think at this stage, one thing that, you know, the way that I was raised, I think my mom, maybe my mom isn't also the most like 
feminine energy type woman either. But one thing that I know that she does, and this is something that I had to take a long time to realize, is that love is very different in different cultures, right? We grew up in America. We grew up very Asian American, but my mom is very traditional Taiwanese and her love comes from food, you know, and that if I went over today, like just showed up by random, she would cook me whatever I wanted or without even me asking, provide, you know, just all this love in her form. And I think that's something that I didn't realize that I always had until I didn't. Then you go into the military and you go into a completely different perspective. And I think I, I, I mentioned to you this previously, but I needed that. I needed that because I needed that other side of me to really be enhanced in a way is I needed regimentation. I needed linear fashions. I needed to understand structure. I need to understand that sometimes it's better just to go and to push through and to make it happen versus taking your hands off the wheel and allowing things to you know, happen. The difference between making things happen and allowing things to happen is a big distinction that I help, you know, kind of navigate mm. the things we do today with. And so I would say that at this stage, I love the role that I take in that whenever I talk to my patients, say it's a, a, a woman who's in postpartum and she's having a difficult time, or maybe her husband's having a difficult time. Cause sometimes dads have a hard time. And I felt this too, when my baby was first, you know, was first born, it's like, sometimes you feel useless, you know, and sometimes you don't feel significant because you're not, you know, front and center in the baby's life. And even to this day, my baby, you know, does want me to pick her up, but if mom's in the room, she's going to 90% go to mom. And I think it's in the end is recognizing that my job today and big part of my role is taking a lot of the stigma away from and the fear away from growing your family, right? In my practice, there's oftentimes maybe mid twenties, late twenties, early thirties women that are having their first baby. And it's really interesting working through a lot of the fears that the media and, you know, so social norms are at this stage where it's like we've pushed mothers so far down on the totem pole when in reality we don't realize that we are completely shunting away our future generations, right? We don't realize that creating the fear around birth and then completely mechanizing the process, maybe even worse, disease orienting the, the, the pregnancy, making moms feel like they're they have a condition that needs to be managed versus celebrating that she's actually growing an amazingly beautiful life inside of her. And that's something odd that comes from a man in my practice yeah. today. Right. But I believe that my mom and, and all of our kind of culture raised me to honor that. And then at this stage, it becomes a nice like way for me to communicate it. And I would say the military, what it brought for me was, you know, I think by the age of 17, which is when I was in basic training at West Point, I mean, they're just hammering in you that the military perspective is we fight and win our, na our nation's wars and we build leaders of character and we, you know, like we lead our, you know, the next generation of, you know, soldiers. And what that taught me very early on was that Seven, I mean, which 17-year-olds in the world today are actually just being hammered in them that you're going to live a life of purpose. Like you have to live a life of a high purpose. And at this stage, because it's so balanced now and that I love what I do in, there, in terms of, you know, I don't know if it's just the way that I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be surrounded by women, patients, staff, family. Like I, I wasn't surprised that our first, first kid was a dot was a girl. <laughs> like it's just, it's just how it's going to be, but taking a stand in a way that and living in a very, I would say in a very masculine way and like throwing my flag in the sand for our future generations means that we're going to, we're going to start uplifting the female energy again around the world and not to the discarding of the male energy, but to just, you don't have to, you don't have to disempower someone else by empowering somebody. And so I don't Amen. know if I your question, Amen. that's something that, that came to me. 
No, that's fantastic. And I love the way you capped that. That's beautiful. That's fantastic. And I know I love another one of your sayings. You like to say that being, you like to be the thermostat, not the thermometer. Can you please uh, expand upon that with us and explain that? That's another beautiful saying. You know, there, there are people and, and God, God bless everybody, you know, but I, there's something that I, that, how do I say this? There are people who wake up and, and they base their entire day on how they feel right in that moment. And that I would say is the analogy of being the thermometer. How do I feel? What's my temperature at? And the concept of being, you know, shifting your mindset to believing in the fact that we have a choice to actually be a thermostat means that if I wake up and I'm a, a chilly 55 degrees, you know, chilly, that would be freezing in San Diego. I think the freezing point in San Diego is like 50, right? Not, not 32, like everywhere else. But if we need more then turn the dial a bit. Right. And I think one of the things that you asked me about pre um, pre talk was just like, what are, what are some of the things that I do, you know? And I would say religiously, I start my day on my terms. Right. And a Which lot are? of times you're like, Which? when you're, what, what are, what are those terms? Yeah. Like, what does that mean? So for me, I, I have, I have eight, I, I, I've received so much training in my life on, on morning routines, on life stuff. And, and, and somebody taught me something called the core four and the core four is a combination of body. They call it being balance and business body is like physicality doing something physical. You got to sweat. Um, which is also nutrition. You got to do some sort of like, whether it's a green smoothie or whether it's something in the morning that just fully nutrifies your body. Being is a combination of meditation or prayer and journaling and, or right. Balance is for me, the way that I do this is I send a message to my wife and I send a message to another person in my family member. And I base it off three um, basic things. Number one is honor gratitude or love, right? Those three, those different, it has to be a completely pure um, message. I don't have any expectation of any sort of anything coming back to me. Um, and then business is about discovery, like learning something new. And so sometimes during a workout, I'm listening to a podcast, but then immediately is declaring it out to the universe or to the world. And so sometimes for me, that's walking into my staff and during my morning or during our huddle before we start our day, like I go through, you know, one of the things that I learned in this morning. And for me, like if I do that daily, I know I build power for myself. And the earlier I get it done in the day, the more power I have for the rest of the day. Now, with that said, when you have a one-year-old, it's really hard. Right. And life, sometimes she gets up at 4.30 and I get up at 4.30. I'm like, what are you doing up? This is my morning routine. Right. And so I have found a way to take all those things. And if, if at the very least I move, right. And sometimes it's 10 sun salutations, right. Sometimes it's so easy. We have a squat therapy that we got from Ido Portal. It's a four minute video. And sometimes I'm just doing that, you know, it's not like I have to go out and do you know, a, a three mile, a three mile hike every morning where I have to surf for two hours. Like sometimes that's just not sustainable, right? If I get that fantastic. But for me at the end of that morning, if I feel charged, then that's me being the thermostat. It's me turning the gauge to the point where I know that the level of energy that I need to serve at my highest capacity I have to meet it or else at the end of the day, I'm going to feel drained. Right. And then I take the onus upon myself to realize that if I didn't build the energy or if I didn't build that, that type of capacity for my day, then that's on me. It's not on the person that triggered me. It's not on the person that, you know, didn't come, you know, that didn't, whatever it is, you know, I can't blame anything on the outside if I don't do what I need to do for myself on the inside first. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. And that's one of the things that I myself always aspire to. And I, I think of it as trying to be active rather than reactive. Absolutely. You know, I always kind of even that's in my prayers to not be 
reacting to things, reacting to all the emails, reacting to somebody who's in a bad mood, reacting to the person who cuts me off, you know, being more inner directed and having, having sovereignty over my own energy, my own mind, my own body, my own being. To me, that's always what I'm striving for every day, allowing other people to be them. And of course, interacting in the world, but not being like bouncing like a ping pong ball because that one's in a bad mood. Now you're in a bad mood and all that stuff and taking stuff personally. And gee, she looked right. at me funny. And when I was that about maybe it's nothing to do with you, you know, and just not reacting all the time. Because to me, what I find that it makes your energy leak. You get all, it's like totally. it's like you're being a colander and you've got, you know, those things that drain the, the grapes, mm -hmm. you know, and all the water's going out. It's like your energy's just leaking everywhere. Yeah. So that is, I love that core four. Love that. <laughs> yeah, there, there was a group I, there was a, there's actually, this, this is actually worth talking about because this, the group that I learned that from is actually called Wake Up Warrior. Okay. And it's actually, it's actually a group for men. And it's actually a group for men who are married and have businesses. Like awesome. that's how, that's their micro niche, right? And, and what they're trying to do is there's too many men that are out there that are amazing providers. There's a lot of men out there that are super fit, but where they're rather lacking are their skills with their family and where they're lacking are their skills with their faith and their connection with mm. the higher source. Yeah. And so their whole focus is to build whole men. And I think that's something that I, I have resonated with, with them. I mean, if you talk about masculine energy, watch any of their content on, on Instagram, on any social media channel. And you're like, these dudes are nuts. Right. But you would get why I ran is resonate with them because it looks very militaristic in a lot of ways, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but what you don't see on the opposite side are those connections with like your inner voice or the connections with the infinite wisdom that's around us is that mm. they're trying to embed into these men a training and a respect for things that are classically feminine right and that's what i would say the core four it's like okay well providers and fitness those are mostly men thing right mm -hmm. to, to completely generalize right mm -hmm. and then the other side is faith and family and that's mostly feminine things and what they're trying to do is help build into these men the capacity to see the whole and that's something that I've, I, like, I took to that. I've done so many, I've done 15 years of training and I've worked with them maybe the last three years or so. And I don't work with them directly anymore, but that's something that has sat with me because they basically said, if you don't pour into these four areas of your life before you interact with people in the world, then it doesn't mean that your life sucks. It, it just means that if something happens that you left yourself you know, open somewhere. Mm. Does that mean that you don't get triggered? No, I would say that the more we evolve, the higher and higher, you know, the more maybe comedic and hilarious the, the universal wisdom that's around us gets and throws bigger problems at us. But I would say that that's something for me that has been very core for me is that if I wake up on a day-to-day -day basis and I don't feel like I'm at the level that I am, then I have to generate it. I have to create it in my life because that's what, that's what from quantum physics to personal responsibility, that is something that is absolutely being talked about everywhere today is that life either happens to you or it happens for you. Right. You hear that all the time. Right. So. And I got a third one for you. I heard sure. the other day, or it happens through you. <laughs> right. Totally. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, but the, I love it. You know, and that I always, uh, I like to say to people, it's like there's 88 keys on a piano for a reason. You know, you, you want to play all the keys on the keyboard, you know, and I, I feel that. a lot of us are only playing five, 10, maybe 12 keys. And we're wondering why our life is not working on all levels or why we just feel so kind of empty. And, totally. you know, I've got all the stuff I should quote unquote air quotes, you know, have, but I just don't, feel any juice you know yeah. I just don't have that mojo going what's up and they're not playing all the keys on the keyboard you know so the holistic thing you and I are very much in line with that that you know in in learning and seeking all these different ways I'm going to check out these guys wake up warrior that's great for all the men because I mean, I love men. Okay, let's just get that clear. I'm all about men. I think it's fantastic. 
my biggest problem has been that I've been predominantly living in my masculine energy as a physical woman. And that's not balanced. That's not all the keys on my keyboard, darling. Okay. There's a whole bunch more there that are ready to be played. And I find the more I'm playing on the whole keyboard, the better my life works, the easier my life works, the more fulfilling, the more fun my life is, all that stuff. And I would say just at the same time, if you, if you don't know more than five keys right now, when you play that sixth and seventh key, it's not going to sound good right away. You know, give yourself some grace and realize that, that this whole process or this whole, whatever it is, if it's a healing or if it's an evolution of who we are, if it's an expression of our highest self, like that's a journey. And I would say that, you know, like I said, as you evolve and as you grow into a greater potential, like you get some big challenges that fall into your lap. And that's like the universe saying, Hey, yeah, this is your, this is your time. You're up for it. The bigger it is, the more the universe believes that you can handle it. Totally. Because it's given it to you. Okay. And as we start to wrap up, I would love to know, uh, kind of related to this note, some advice you might give to a younger Dr. Om or the younger listener, the 20, 30-year-old something. If you could go back and give yourself some advice now, what would that be? You know, I think the short answer would be like, listen to your mom. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's, and, and I say that because now being a dad, it's, it's, it's wild to, to realize like how much you become like your parents. And then at the same time, like how, you know, when you're, when you're a parent, you think you're right. And you're like, Oh, that means my mom was right. You know? And so it's kind of a weird way that the universe plays with you too. But I would say the other aspect is just, is this really tuning in? You know, I would say I was a very, um, intuitive kid I knew and I would say you know maybe off the beaten path in some respects I had some learning challenges that actually made me very um I would say they made me very intuitive they made me like I consider 80 of kit we had two kids come in today new patients with ADHD and I asked their mom very directly I said sometimes does this seem like a superpower like yeah seems like they can see around the corner sometimes I'm like yeah. Okay. So you got to help them with this. Right. And that's something that I wish I had when I was younger is that I had these things that were actually very strong strengths and very strong traits that I wish I trusted, that I wish I knew that that was a gift that was given to me and that I knew that I could just sit there and realize that I could trust in myself and trust that the universe and God and the infinite wisdom that is around us is actually working for me. If I knew that, as a teen, I would have been a, I would, I would be in a very completely different place in a lot of respects or just my path would have been very different. And so now do I look back and see that I wish my life were different? No, it's kind of interesting, right? It's like, I would tell my, would tell a younger self that, you know, this is something that you could do, which lead me on a different path, but I'm not at all in any respects ungrateful for where I've gone through. Of course, of course. So, so in a nutshell, for all the young moms who might be listening that have children, maybe uh, your advice is to cultivate those qualities in children that they don't learn in school and that we're all born with, but just aren't nurtured in our normal culture, that you're encouraging them to, to go ahead and, you know, acknowledge them and encourage them. And also for the younger people to still tap into that stuff in yourself, into your for the I would older say, like looking at both of the things that I said, it's like, it's weird. Cause I kind of said two opposite things, right. It's like, listen to my mom, yes. right? but it's also like listening to myself. Yeah. And I would say for, for the young moms or parents out there, it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, cultivate all these amazing strengths and gifts and, and, and traits in them, but also don't forget to lead them. Don't forget that sometimes you actually have exactly what they need to actually have a better life and express themselves even more so and finding that balance, which is so weird that we came back to this. I think it's the balance between those two things, right? Making things happen and taking your hands off and trusting that all is meant to be, right? And that is what the show is about is learning the discretion to, to know how to dance between the two. That's exactly it. And, and when to lead and when to follow. And that's truly the art of life, isn't it? <laughs> it, it, it is. Yeah. Beautiful. 
Now, you've got a podcast out. Tell us about some of the exciting things you're working on and how people can find you, how they can follow your podcast to get more of your wisdom and all your amazing guests every week. And just tell us about what you got going on. Yeah, so we're uh, about, I guess we're four months in. It's a relatively new podcast. It's called the Future Generations Podcast. And our practice is also called Future Generations Clinic of Chiropractic. And that's what it's about, right? It's about how we create a world that the future generations inherit that is just way better than the one that we inherited. And so we have three main focuses. The first is uh, very similar to what you work with, right? Self-healing, optimal expression of your potential. Um, we have a specific em emphasis that people did want to learn more about chiropractic. Like there is, you know, a lot of chiropractors that interview um, natural living, is something that I, I've always loved lifestyle, but specifically also looking at things like pregnancy and birth. And a lot of times patients or people don't realize how much we have been kind of programmed by society into believing that birth is a disease and that birth should be fearful and birth is always traumatic. And um, we want to, we want to shift that. We believe that shifting that mindset honors mothers and birthing people. And when we do that, we uplift our future generations as well. And the third uh, focus is health freedom. And I believe at this stage, especially, you know, with who knows where we're going with the election, but there's very clear delineations on different perspectives. And one perspective wants more lockdowns and one perspective says, hey, let's get back to work. And it's really interesting that our, that our COVID virus is a little bit political right now. But I think at this stage, what we need to realize collectively is that we don't have full freedoms to make choices for our kids right now, especially in the state of California, especially in Massachusetts where you are, there's, there's very big attacks against parental rights, um, specifically around child, childhood vaccinations. And I talk yes. about that because it is easily the most asked and not asked question in my practice with parents. It's the most which asked is, for sure. What is which vaccination? Is, which is what to do with kids and their vaccines. Right. Wow. I would say that's yeah. that's one of the most asked questions and the most not asked questions, although most people don't have a clear idea of what their perspective is. So but, can you can you just at least sorry, but you, yeah. I can't let that one go. Can you at least quickly interject where people can go for accurate information? I know you probably have a podcast on it, too. Is yeah. there a place people can go for reliable, accurate information? I'd say the most important, I'd say there's a couple, right? I get, I get a lot of, a lot of my information from Dell Big Tree through the informed consent action network. Um, Dell Big Tree has a weekly um, internet show called the high wire. The that high is wire. something that everybody I believe should be watching very diligently because they're covering all of the information, especially, you know, like we talked about on childhood vaccines, but also with COVID, like all the data that's not hitting the mainstream media. Um, there is a nonprofit called Children's Health Defense that is led by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Yes. He is easily the yes. biggest advocate for human rights, um, maybe on the planet, but especially with regard to children's health and manual yeah. disease. Fantastic. The National Vaccine Information Center is a nonprofit that has been around for several decades since the 70s, maybe 80s. And they have, in my opinion, some of the most vetted information that's out there. And honestly, I would say maybe not your public health organization, like, cause that's, if you want to know what your public health organization believes, just turn on your news. Like that's, yep. that's they're basically the narrative. Now, yeah. The mainstream narrative. Right yeah. Well, just quickly, um, can you clarify what you mean by an internet site? Just so people can find Dell Big Tree and the and the High Wire show. What does yeah, that mean? Yeah. Internet, like on. Oh Google, no, he, has, he, he it's YouTube? um. Let's see. He, I mean, he, well, he got the platform from YouTube. Um, okay. With yeah, no that, yeah. He's so not on YouTube anymore. He's on Facebook. There, he, they have an Instagram account. Um, the High Wire is an Instagram account. And I believe they're on a bunch of other networks as well, but their website's probably the best place. Okay, his website. So the High Wire and that's Dell Big Tree. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, sorry to go off on that tangent, but that's, that's okay. super important. And I know no. we're, we're wrapping up, but I didn't want to kind of leave people hanging because I know that's a real hot topic right now and sure. a very, very, very important one. And you're talking about these children that are, you know, innocent and uh, it's people just don't know where to go to get accurate 
real information, not from people who have self-serving bias motives. And, you know, they don't know what to believe, you know, it's like, there's all this, and you're, you're labeled a conspiracy theorist. And it's yeah. just, where's our freedom? You know, where's our, where's our freedom to question? Where's our freedom to decide for ourselves and to educate ourselves and, um, you know, find people who know without them being all of a sudden gone from searches, you know? And I would say that a litmus test that I've had over the last several years is that as soon as somebody wants to shut down the conversation, then you know what their perspective is. Right. Mm. And so one of the things I just interviewed Dell for part two of um, his interview. And one of the things that he said that was so pointed, he's like, it's not that he's like the biggest problem at this stage is that for decades, we've been shutting down the question. We can't even question anymore. And if you can't question, then you don't have free speech. And if you don't have free speech, then holy, like holy, it's not in alignment with American values and the Bill of Rights and First Amendment. And so for me, when I was talking to, you know, you're talking about how to find good information, I would say that if somebody is steeped in hysteria, fear, and chaos, then there's something behind that, right? Like you turn on your TV, like I would say a big piece of advice is turn off your TV, right? Yeah. Because anytime you see anything on a major network, what you have to realize is that the number one contributor to sponsorship ads is big pharma. It just is. And you know this, and I know this because you turn even, even on my Apple TV, you know, you turn on a show and if you don't pay Hulu a little bit more, you get those ads and they're always drug ads. And if it's a guy's show, then it's Cialis and it's things for erectile dysfunction. And if it's a girl's show, you know, generalizing, mm. then it's things about autoimmunity and it's things about rheumatoid arthritis. And, and it's like, yeast that's infections. Not, <laughs> that's not a mistake, right? That's yeah. not a mistake at all. And so what we know is when we watch a pharmaceutical ad, we know that the last 45 seconds of it is going to be all the side effects, you know, that they run off while they're, while they're painting a beautiful picture in a landscape because people get programmed more by pictures than by words. Mm. But one thing you never, never, ever, ever, ever hear is that there are no side effects for vaccines. Mm. And so is it just a magical medical product that just has no side effects at all? Or is it actually the fact that they, since 1986, have been a completely liability-free product? They cannot be sued. And if they can't be sued, whether it's a pharmaceutical company, a manufacturer, or it is insurance company that kind of pays doctors more, or if it's a hospital system, or it's an actual doctor, nobody can be held liable for any injury at this stage. And we know that the government, this is not my data, this is the governmental data, that over $4 billion have been paid out for injuries for vaccines. Where is the, where is the transparency? And that's what I just try to provide in my practice. Just so you know, I'm not anti-vaccine. I'm not anti-medicine. I am pro-informed consent. Yes. And when we talk about things like consent, whether it's the Me Too movement, or whether it's an actual informed consent and how a parent is supposed to have all the information to make yes. decisions about their children. I do the job that I believe I wish all medical doctors would do. And that I say, Hey, this is what you're up against. Do you have any questions? Sure. Let's talk about those. Here are the benefits. Here are the risks. Here are some alternative options. And what do you do? And no matter what your choice, 100% your responsibility. And guess what? I love you no matter what. I love you no matter what. I will serve you to my highest capacity, no matter what you choose. And that's what I believe is missing today in healthcare, right? You go to the doctor and you don't want to do exactly what they say. It's not uncommon to be shamed. It's not uncommon to be coerced. And that's not, that's just not a brand of healthcare that I believe I would subscribe to at this stage. Does that mean every doctor does that? No, of course not. But there's something in that system that has created this at this mm. stage. And I believe it's infiltrated everywhere today. Yeah. And so episode six in our podcast is my vaccine class that I've taught for about eight years. Oh, wow. It's called the three most important questions for vaccine safety. Oh, excellent. Um, you're super, super simple. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple of different episodes in there that go through a lot of different, different aspects of 
this particular conversation that I believe, in my opinion, is the most, like I said, the most concerned, like most parents are concerned about it, but they're afraid to ask. Yes. They're afraid to ask because they're afraid about what somebody would think about what their perspective was. And mm-hmm. whenever you're faced with that, then it means you got to dig deeper. Yeah. All right. Right. But I love what you said. It's about informed consent. You know, we can't make the right decision if we don't have all the information. Yeah. And if you have all the information, you then you can then choose the same decision you were going to and own that decision more. Yeah. And have confidence in it and get behind your decision and feel good about it. Or yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's the future generations podcast episode Mm -hmm. six. Mm hmm. Okay. Yep. All right. Yep. As well as all your other amazing episodes. Okay. Are there any final words you'd like to share with our group? Uh, you know, I think it's just, <sighs> there's a phrase in our office that we say, and we, and we, 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 we hang on to this every day and it goes like this, like the body's ability to heal is far greater than we've ever been led to believe. And what you have to know that comes as a corollary to that is that deep within us is everything that we need to thrive in our health, in our life, in our jobs, in every aspect of things. And if you have everything that you already have on the inside, then you know that there's nothing on the outside that can touch the grandeur and the the brilliance that actually exists on the inside. And having people around you that will always feed into that, that will always help uplift that. And even healthcare providers, I would say, I would say that one of the most damaging ways is to teach people that germs and genes are just the end all be all to their health or, or their mice. They're the enemy. Yeah. To teach the them that they're the enemy. Yeah. And, and it's outside people, of you. People, yeah. people don't realize that once they believe that, that they have deep within them, either a poverty consciousness or a somehow like there's something that's going to be like someone's going to pull the rug out from them at some point and someone can victimize them. If you don't believe that, then you always have the resilience and you have everything inside of you that will actually push you through all the resistance that you face in your life. 100% best, best defense is a good offense. You know, (laughs) you know, us staying strong and healthy is the best thing that we can do for our immune system and any, any virus or any situation. So I love it. Dr. Stanton, um, you are quite an amazing human being. I am so grateful to have you join our podcast, Awakening Aphrodite. And uh, guys, check out his podcast, Future Generations. Um, Go back and listen to this episode again. There's so much in here. uh, And, you know, ask people in your world, maybe a chiropractor in where you live, finding someone that might have the mindset that uh, Dr. Ohm has and, and see if it can help you because it's a lot more than just cracking your back, isn't it? It's, there's a lot of benefit that can be had with that type of care. All right, my lady, I really appreciate you. Yes. Okay, super. Okay, everybody, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed the show, please give it a big thumbs up with five stars, give it a rating and subscribe for more and definitely check out Dr. Stan Ohm and his podcast, Future Generations. Thanks so much, everybody. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.